Good morning. Let me pray for us. Father, um, as we take a look this morning, uh, continue to take a look at fellowship. And as we set our course, set our heading uh, to understand, to taste, to experience fellowship. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do as Jesus said you would do, that you would be our counselor, our helper, our guide to truth, our teacher. Convict, please, concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And lead us into the head who is Christ. And help us this morning to taste our union with Christ. So that we can taste our union with each other. Please work that out now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to look at the nature of fellowship today and next week. Um, and how we're going to do that is take a look at what we call uh, at Three Rivers Community Church, the radical life. And what that basically looks like is this process that, that, that we see worked out in, in the book of Acts is there is... Um, because of the glorious work of the gospel and, and the Holy Spirit that the Lord has sent to indwell His people and to empower the mission. We see this glorious birthing of a people of God that Joel describes. And that Peter quotes from Joel, Joel chapter 2, in his sermon at Pentecost. A people birthed into the community of the saints. The church. And these people are in radical communion with God. And those people who are in communion with God are then in community with each other. And that community then collides with its culture. And that's what we call the radical life. The John chapter 15 abiding in Christ. We are in Him. He is in us. And as a result we are unified. We are together in a unified fellowship and then that unified fellowship collides with its culture and preaching the gospel, bringing healing, bringing all the glorious resources of God's kingdom to bear on the lost world so that they may know Christ. Communion with God, community with each other, collision with our culture and our world. That's what we call the radical life. This John 15 reality that we are to abide in Jesus and Jesus produces life in us and gives us fruit through our lives, gospel fruit. And Acts records this beautiful process for us. As Jesus' followers obeyed and remained in Him, they were fully and finally empowered with the Spirit. And this communion with God produced community with each other. They were together. And they shared and they met publicly in homes. They met publicly and in homes. And this community of people who were in communion with God began to collide with culture and transformation took place. So we're going to talk about the nature of fellowship today and next week. And today we're going to talk about the first part of that and that is our communion with God. Because if we are going to get fellowship right... It will not be right unless we live in communion with God. Because we can have a unified mission. We can have a unified strategy. And we can do work together. And be no different than the Rotary Club. Or the Exchange Club. Or any other civic organization. What makes the church radically different is that the individual members of the church are in radical communion with the triune God of the universe. And, and we're used to hearing that. We say those things, don't we? And they sort of fall on common ears, right? The, you know, if you... If you hang out in Christian cultures, we say things, right? And we get used to hearing the verbiage. And sometimes it doesn't fall on us like it should, maybe. Um, but what, what should happen is this glorious truth of the gospel must well up in you. 
Like we were talking this morning in news members class, and I nearly lost my mind for a minute. Just, just, just the, the gospel does this to saved people. We're talking, what is the gospel, right? And, and, I, and I just kind of had to break in and say, start in Genesis and work your way through and articulate it. Because this message, Paul says, is the power of God for salvation. Right? Meaning the gospel is powerful. It's, it's not just words. It is a powerful, supernatural message intended to draw you out of the fallen state of man into the glorious reality of walking with God. You're not feeling that? Like that's got to do something in you. Let me just be very frank. If that doesn't do something down in here, you might need it to save you. Because that is intended to draw you into communion, save you, put Christ's righteousness on you, put His Spirit in you, and draw you into a daily walking with God. Right? And if that's not present, this is not going to happen. Right? This is worthless if I am not walking with the Lord. I'm serious. Like, I'm breathing hard. I can hardly stand myself right now. You, you are to walk with God. Enoch walked with God. And he was not because the Lord took him. You read that? We just studied through Hebrews chapter 11, right? You remember that? Enoch walked with God and God was pleased. And they enjoyed one another. And the Lord's like, hey, this is great. I'm just going to take you. Man, you were made to walk with God. And when we walk with God in fellowship with God, then we have fellowship with one another, right? I mean, we've been hitting 1 John 1, 3 now for like 23 weeks, right? That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. You probably didn't know we could milk so much out of one verse. But it's loaded. It's loaded. We have fellowship with God. And that then is the basis for our fellowship with each other. Acts 2, 42 to 47, which we'll look at more next week, doesn't work unless those people who are gathered together are filled with the power of the gospel birthed into the kingdom, walking in communion with God. It's no good. And so if we don't get this right, this doesn't work. Does that make sense? Okay. So we're going to talk about the first piece of this radical life, communion with God. Next week we'll take a look at community with each other and collision with culture. But communion with God. We can't overlook this. We can't overlook this. We have fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, because the Spirit takes us into that. Communion with God. Union with Christ. Fellowship with each other is predicated on fellowship with God. Alright? Churches split when they're civic organizations. But when they are walking in communion with God, they're unified. So fellowship doesn't happen unless you are walking. And, and, and I want you to feel the burden, okay? This is not my job alone. This is not the pastor's job to walk with God and you come get your dose from us. That's Catholicism. We revolted from that in the 1500s, right? We're good Protestants up in here. You are a priest too, I'm serious. You've been saved to walk with God. Not through my walk with God, but your own. Isn't that awesome? Like, do you get this? You have been saved to be in union with Christ. One of the New Testament's favorite ways of talking about our communion with God is the phrase, in Christ. Okay, now I counted in the Greek text this week, 
181 occurrences. And if you have my notes, you see my little parenthetical citation, being honest. When I got around 181, my dyslexia kicked in and got the, the best of me. You were A, dyslexic. <laughs> B, it's Greek, literally. And then when you get to 181 of anything in a different language with letters going backward on you and spatial issues, if you lose count, it's okay. So about 181, I lost count, but I was right toward the end. So go look at a better commentary, and you probably get more or less, but around 181-ish in him statements. Outright in him or in Christ or with Christ, in variation of that. Now, if there's 181 statements-ish of our in Christ, with Christ, or in him there, what might you think by repetition the emphasis is? We're in Christ. That the gospel, this glorious good news, has brought you into Jesus. That's rich beyond our ability to just deal with in the few minutes that we have. So what I've done is I've got a little sampling here. Obviously not 181-ish of them. But I want to break this down into three pieces. In Christ. Christ in us. And then our being like Christ. All these nuances of our union with Christ presented out of these 181-ish passages just in the New Testament. And we're not going to do all of them because we don't have time. And by the way, I have got, got some stuff on the back side of this to help you do this this week, okay? So, alright, but it does no good to give you something to do if you don't understand what you're doing and why. Okay, so, so we're going to get to something for you to do, but you're going to have to hang. Because what I'm trusting here is my prayer is that the Lord by the Spirit would take these passages and start causing something in you to kind of well up. Create some oomph, because I don't have anything else to describe it. Right, oomph. A little emotive truth creating an emotive response. We need that to happen to serve one another, right, in the gospel. You alive? You can nod, right? Here we go. We are in Christ. John chapter 14, 16 to 17 and the 19 to 20. I'll ask the Father and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. We looked at this one more last week, but it bears repeating. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive... Because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 19 to 20. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Why is the resurrection of Jesus vital? Because your life depends upon it. Right? Because he lives, we live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Who is the Holy Spirit present with you? Jesus, the head of the church in you. You in him. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in this is like, you know, if you're a Christian and been through any type of like, I read my Bible like once in a devotional book, this passage was probably in there, right? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If you believe the gospel, you are in Jesus. He's remade you. He's awakened your soul. He's caused your very being to come alive and he has recreated you. This is why, by the way, holiness for the Christian is just an outworking of the new heart of a believer. Because he's recreated your soul. That's good news, by the way. That's awesome news. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Right? Ephesians 1.4 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, blessed us, but it's hard not to do just a full exposition of these passages. It's hard to just give them a lick and a promise. Um, go read your Bible and let the Lord teach you. Okay? I'm serious. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ 
with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There is no spiritual blessing that's been withheld from you in Christ. Every spiritual balm has been poured out on you. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before Him. His election of me is in Christ before the foundation of the world. All of mankind fallen. The day you eat of it, you will die. None of us deserve to be saved. If we are, it's because in Christ, He took us and rescued us from the hell that we were headed to. Man, if that's all you heard today, that's enough to come and worship. Because in Christ, He rescued you. Ephesians 2, 4-7, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us to lie alive together with Christ. You're not alive on your own. You're alive because He made you alive with Christ. He placed you in Jesus. Things that are in the Creator don't stay dead. They come alive because the Creator is life. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ. You ever know, this passage is loaded with the with and in Him's. Right? He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that, why did He do that? Here's your purpose clause. In the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Wow, immeasurable riches of His grace toward us in Christ Jesus because we are in Him. Philippians 2, 5-11 Have this mind among yourselves. Okay, what mind am I supposed to have? Am I supposed to get this mind on my own? No, comma, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Well, what mind is that? That though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so it's the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. What mind can we have among ourselves, which is ours in Christ, out of humility? Pride is the antithesis of the gospel. Exaltation of oneself is the antithesis of the gospel. We have the mind of Christ. It's ours in Christ Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Colossians 2, 11-12. In Him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In Him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. That's that's a statement of the new covenant work of the gospel that he has taken out a cold, dead, unfeeling heart and put in a new heart that's full of life. This is why if the gospel doesn't stir something, the gospel needs to stir you for the first time. And I mean that with all sincerity. What about Christ in us, right? That's, that's, our union, that's our union in Christ, right? We are united with Christ. We are in Him and all those things we just looked at. What about Christ in us? Colossians 1, 27 and 28. To them God has chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of Of the glory of this mystery. Paul calls this a mystery. A mysterious reality. I love how in the scriptures there are some things that are just mysterious. And they're not intended to be fully grasped. Just enjoyed. What is this glorious mystery? 
which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, hope of glory. Why can he say in this next sentence here in Colossians 1.28 that the goal is to present everyone mature in Christ? Because Christ in you will bring you to maturity. <laughs> the Bible calls that sanctification. If Christ is in you, he will bring you to maturity. You will mature in him. He will not leave you behind. He will finish what he started in you. Galatians 2.20. Somebody's probably got this like written down somewhere, right? This is one of those, I just got saved in my first verse memorized passages, right? It's a good one. Don't forget it. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Listen, you're not living the Christian life. Jesus is living the Christian life in you. Which is why if you have no desire to be in fellowship with the body, Jesus does not dwell in you. Because those whom Christ takes over desire to be with others whom Christ has taken over. Kind of how it works. Right? But Christ who lives in me. In the life I, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Right? Well, another piece of this union with Christ, communion with God, is we are to be like Christ. Because... Christ is in us and we are in Christ. We are to be imitators of Jesus, right? Ephesians 5.25. You read the whole Ephesians 5 passage there, particularly the section on husbands and wives. He says this at the end. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Cherishes it. Comma. Just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. That little statement, just as, is a statement of imitation. We love our wives and nourish our wives and cherish our wives as an imitation of what Jesus does for the church. Does that make sense? Because Jesus loves, nourishes, and cherishes His church of whom He is the head. He is chief shepherd. We are to imitate that in marriage by treating our wives like Jesus treats the church. High call, isn't it, men? But it's ours in Christ Jesus. Right? Colossians 3, 12 to 13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Semicolon. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. In other words, our bearing with one another is an imitation of Jesus bearing with us. Right? Right? That's supernatural. Right? If you bear with one another, it's an imitation of how Christ bears with us because you are in Christ, Christ is in you. It's what we do. It's what we do. Here's just a sampling. And then Jesus comes and he says to us, abide in him. Right? John 15, 4 and 5, abide in me. And if you read that whole John 15 passage about abiding, you'll notice the word abide is there 11 times. That one's right. Okay? It's only 11. I can make it through 11 occurrences. Abide. Abide. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. There's no fellowship, fruit of fellowship, unless we are abiding in, living in, enjoying the life-giving vine. There's no fruit unless we are abiding. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me... And I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We're to abide in Jesus. That we may grow into him. And Spirit's job is to lead us into Christ. 
and remind us of all that He said so that we can know Him, hear Him, and grow into the chief shepherd. There's one body, many parts, doing His mission and ministering to one another in the process. The fact that we've been saved, that's a good southern phrase, right? The fact that we've been saved, we've been redeemed to have communion with God is a mind-blowing reality to be enjoyed. To be enjoyed. So I'm going to ask a question. And then we're going to answer it, okay? With three warnings. So let me ask the question, give you three warnings, and then we're going to answer it. How do we enjoy our union with Christ? Right? How would we enjoy these glorious realities that we just have read here? And as a result, then, be able to have fellowship with one another. How, how, right? Because if we're going to have fellowship with one another, we have to be in communion with God. Living out this glorious union with Jesus. Right? Because if we're enjoying union with Christ, there's going to be the fruit of fellowship. How are we going to do that? Well, first, let me give you three warnings. Number, number one. There is an innate danger here providing you with a list of things to do so that you can check them off and declare yourself to be in Christ because you've done the checklist. Okay? That's an innate danger. If you take these things I'm going to give you and you just go do them and you do them because you have to do them and you check them off, well, I must be in Christ because I did what He said to do. That's a dangerous thing. That's not the case with this list, okay? You feel that? You understand that? So don't think that if I go check off and do these things, well, I must be in Jesus because I did those things He said to do. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? Second, there's an innate danger here of thinking that if you do these things, there must be some fantastic explosion of a super, supernatural champagne supernova in the sky. Like that. Oasis people. And some of you guys are like, what do you mean by that? Some of you guys are like, I was there at that party. I remember that. But I've been saved now and transformed. <laughs> Lord, I'm sorry. You better be glad I didn't tell you I've been thinking all week long either because I would have ruined your Sunday. My wife told me I shouldn't say it, and I'm not. So I'm going to trust that the Lord's speaking to me through her. The champagne supernova is enough. There's an innate danger of thinking that if you do these things, there's going to be an explosion that's a landmark event in your life. Maybe, maybe not. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Third and finally, and more importantly, these things, some of them, should be natural and a normative function of a transformed heart. They're not things you make yourself do. They're things you just do because you are a new creature. Illustration. There's some instrumentation in a plane this week. Keith and I, Keith Thompson and I, had the privilege of flying up to spend a few a few hours with Brody Holloway at Snowbird, where our students go for camp. Right? You guys who went to Snowbird, we got some Snowbird former Snowbird employees and workers around here. Right? Spend some time asking some questions. And there's some instrumentation in, in, in airplanes. And, and some of you guys, if you like to be outdoors, you have one of these. It's called a compass. Right? Ever notice what a compass does? Where does it always point? North, right? Compass needles point north. Because that's just what they do. Compass needles don't have to work through a checklist. They don't pull a Captain Jack Sparrow and point out the way. They just point north because no matter how they're jostled or shaken or moved, they just point north. North. When a heart is transformed by the gospel, it just moves, it just gravitates, it just delights in, it just wants to pursue being in Christ because that's what it does. And I don't know how any I don't know how to say that any other way. Transformed hearts delight in Jesus. And no matter how we wrestle with sin, it's like, what a moron I am. Why would I want to do that? I don't even like that. 
And you get mad at yourself. You're like, that was stupid. Well, I don't even like I don't even like that. What am I doing? You pull a Romans 7. You realize, oh, that's in the manual. That's awesome. That's encouraging. I don't like that anymore. Why did I do that? Why? Because your heart's pointing north and you're going south. I can't do that. That's just what transformed hearts do. Does that make sense? So how can we practice this communion we have with God by the indwelling Spirit leading us into the chief shepherd Jesus? How can we abide in Jesus so that we can have fellowship with each other? Well, now that I've given you those warnings, I'm going to give you points for me. Now I want to say this. Some of these things you're like, dude, I have no clue what you're talking about. Because these are mine. Okay? Because what I could have done is there's several books out there, and I look through these books, like, well, there's some of these middle age mystics and some people in church history. How do you practice the presence of God? And Brother Lawrence and some of this stuff. And I could have given you all their stuff, and that was just kind of felt fake to me. So I just kind of felt compelled to do is kind of give you my little ways that my heart points north. And maybe you'll identify with some of these. And maybe, maybe right now, the Holy Spirit is already identifying the ways your heart points north. You just need to kind of dwell in those. Does that make sense? So here's, hopefully this will be helpful to you. Number one, know your story. Know your story. And then watch for the Lord's activity. You know, what do you mean by that? You need to take account of how the Lord saved you. By making himself known to you. How did he communicate with you? Right? He saves us for community, but he saved us all as individuals, right? You have a different wiring. How did he save you? This can be a good indicator of how you can continue to speak with and know the voice of the Lord. You ever read Acts 9? And how God saved the murderer Saul? We, we were, this was like, we were sitting in the van with Brody. He took us back to the airport and we are having a conversation that related nothing to do with what we came there for, which was cool. And he was joking about how he was talking with his kids about this. And I thought this was awesome and it totally makes the point. Did, did Saul ask Jesus into his heart? Please shake your head no. Did Saul pray to receive Christ? Did he pray the sinner's prayer? No. Jesus knocked the murderer down, opened his eyes, showed him who he was, and sent him on the mission to the Gentiles. How did Jesus encounter you? How did the risen, resurrected Christ come to you, open your eyes, and show you who he is? How did he save you? Because I can't tell you your story. Only you know this. But you knew it was the Lord, right? You had to. Otherwise, how do you know you belong to Jesus? Because the evangelist told you to pray a prayer and fill out a card. That's not going to work. God bless you, but that's not going to work. How do you know it was the Lord? Dude, I went to a youth camp as a chaperone trying to make it with some girl. And there's this fresh-faced Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary graduate named Louis Giglio up on the stage talking about the cross. And my heart changed. I don't know how to explain it, but I physically got hot inside, warm. And all of a sudden, all this stuff I heard my whole life came crashing in. And my eyes were opened. My desires changed. I wasn't looking for it. He found me and to this day he still speaks to me the same way like i get hot on the inside there's things start welling up and i can't contain it that's how he talks to me and he's clear it's not well, what is that you is that satan it's like yes I, yeah you're yeah you met me there at jekyll island georgia when i wasn't looking for you and you yeah Know your story and how He came to you and transformed you because He's probably still talking to you the same way. And maybe it's a little Colossians 2, 6-7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him. That's another one of the in Him passages, right? I don't want to rip off the context there. He's probably talking about by faith. He's not super clear. My hunch is it's 
the way you received him, keep living that way. If he, however, like Paul, if you notice Paul's life, Jesus knocked him down, opened his eyes, sent him to the Gentiles. And the rest of Paul's life, it's like going to the Gentiles and the Lord sends an angel to tell him, dude, relax, it's all good. Or you're about to go to prison. He's always doing that to Paul, right? You ever notice that? How did he save you? Chances are he's still talking to you that way. I know he's not silent. Do you have ears to hear? Since the body has many parts, no part is less vital than another part, then your encounter with the Lord is not less than another person's encounter with the Lord. Your encounter with Jesus is probably not like mine. I don't expect it to be because I'm a different animal. Like I don't work the way most people work. And I am thank God that Jesus didn't encounter me. Because the way I... No, it's not time for my story. How did he encounter you? I hope this morning you know your story. How did Jesus save you? Let me just say this, and maybe this is for you. If, there, if you don't know, if there's not a sense which, yeah, I know Jesus saved me, and you're just kind of floundering around, and you're not even sure that Jesus is in you or you are in Christ, can I say to you this morning the gospel is for you, that Jesus, the second person, Trinity, who made you in his image, and from whom you walked willingly and by birth and nature and sin and rebelled against him. He has come to die in your place for your sins and rise for your salvation. So if you repent and believe, he will save you. Today might be that landmark day. That's, that maybe is already going on right now. And you're like, oh my God, I don't know what's happening, but I'm being saved. Yes, please, Jesus. You need to know how he engaged you. Your story's not less than mine. It's not more than mine. It's unique to you because he saved you to make us together a part of the body. So in the manifold wisdom of God, we could come together and say, how did he save you? It's how he saved me. Dude, that's cool. It's how he saved me. We're different. Yeah, I know, but we're together. Yay! Touchdown, Jesus. Right? How does he talk to you? Know your story. Spend entirely too much time on that point. Number two, faith. Faith. You're going to have to trust what the manual says about your union with Christ. And you're going to have to understand that we are truly in a spiritual battle. And that emptiness and distance are not realities, but rather illusions that may be demonic in nature. Some of you in here may never have that kind of moment. This is why I said what I said on the backside of point number one on how to kind of try to live in union with Christ. Example. It would be William Cowper who wrote the beautiful hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. This cat wrestled his whole life with deep, dark, lonely depression. And from what I can read in his life, there was never any of those light champagne supernova moments. Just this holding on to the gospel truth that it's what it says. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. You plant your footsteps in the sea and you ride on the storm. Fearful saints... Fresh courage, take the clouds you so much dread. Man, they're big with mercy and will break in blessings on your head. That may be you. There are no champagne supernova moments. It's just a, I've got to, somehow, I'm holding on to the truth that Jesus, you are in me. And I'm in you. Help me now. That's not less spiritual. What does Paul say? Take the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. They're going to be deep, dark moments that Satan is going to come at you with, they're not true if you believe the gospel. Does that make sense? Do you hear that? You hold on to the truth of Scripture. Number three, armor up. Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. We're not going to read the passage. Armor up, Right? Be strong in the Lord. Jesus never told you to go be strong by yourself. Your strength is found in Him. Be strong in the Lord. That is, you hang on, you trust Him, you pray, you seek His face, you come after Him, you ask Him to be your strength, you hang on, you don't give in. Be strong in the Lord. Remember, the war is not against people. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Put on truth. Put on righteousness. Listen, man, holiness 
is a means of fighting the war and putting on the armor. If you have a sin issue, repent. Be holy because God is holy. That's not legalism. That's just walking. That's what that's compass needles pointing north. I don't want that. I'm struggling with that, but I don't even want that. Help me. Take it off. Put on righteousness, right? You ever notice, by the way, that when you persevere in holiness, now we just we sin like left and right. You know that. But you ever notice when you gut through some of those sins and you refuse to give in to them that the, the communion you have with God is sweeter? My hunch is the reason Paul's telling that to the Ephesians is that unholy things attract spiritual darkness. Maybe you're in spiritual darkness and it's because of sin that you will not repent from. Turn from it and come to Jesus. Let that compass needle point north. Right? Put on readiness. Always be ready. Put on faith. Put on salvation. Take up the word and put it all on in prayer. Armor up. Dude, I have to, I have to walk myself through that daily. Alright? You understand, like, like just because you're my particular gifting is to do this doesn't mean I don't have to armor up. I need it more sometimes. There are dark moments. Armor up. Four, obey holy urges. I know that may sound strange. Obey holy urges. Don't fret about divine interruptions during the day. Just obey. If there's just a, a just this urge going off in your gut, that says, do this, and it's holy, and it conflicts with the calendar, right? You're like, wow, 18th. i got something at 7.30, which I do. Um, something at 8, uh, 8.55. You know what? This is a little thing right here you can press and hit delete. Right? Obey holy urges. If, it, if that urges, you know, you need to call that brother or sister. And you, or maybe you need to text them. Here's a scripture passage just going off in me. Text it to them. Call them. Say it to them. Right? Obey holy urges. Maybe that urge is to get in the manual. Like, I don't have time to get in the manual. Okay? I've got a meeting. You know, dude, it's okay to call off a meeting. It really is. You know what? I got to be in the manual. I don't know. I ain't coming to that meeting. I need to go spend time with the Lord. Obey holy urges, or whatever that holy urge. If it's holy and righteous, could be the Spirit giving you instruction, right? What would happen if we started obeying all those little things? Could be fellowship. And by the way, don't. I hope I'm not giving the illusion that I pull this off every day. I don't. trying number five try to be consciously aware of the lord's presence all day morning throughout the day end of the day i caught my little notes it said set trip wires for yourself if you're like me and you live by this and you greatly delight in setting a new appointment set an appointment to spend time with god i know that sounds strange right but like because you know these pop up right and it pops up on your desktop or in your, in your pocket, it starts making a cricket sound or whatever you have. And it's like, oh, what's, what appointment do I have? And you open it up and says, pray. <laughs> All right, well, here we go, right? Set tripwires for yourself to remind you to spend time with the Lord all day. Technology can be a great tool for us, right? Set tripwires to stop, pray, read a psalm, read a proverb, listen, right? Be consciously aware of the Lord's presence all day. Number six, proactively interact with other Christians who you're in fellowship with daily. And if you need to make a list, if you're list people, make a list of people you want to text, email, or call. They may be in your deacon group. Maybe they're in your connect group, but do that on purpose. Because you know what? There are divinely appointed conversations that happen when you do that. In the Lord's providence, He set that time aside for you and that person. Does that make sense? Do that. Which, by the way, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but the, the root word for disciple is discipline. I said this this week at our, uh, we had a, a work day here, students weren't here on Friday, and I said this in our staff devotion time. I'm not even sure who said this. I think it was Piper, I'm not real sure, it wasn't me, so. 
Spontaneity grows in the garden of discipline. That's not in the Bible, okay? So don't go quote that. It's the Bible. Um, but I think there's a fair amount of practical reality in that, that don't just assume spontaneity is going to always fly. Make a plan, hold it with an open hand, and let the Lord direct it, right? Proactively interact with other Christians you're in fellowship with daily. You never know who needs to hear what's on your mind, on your heart. And by the way, just so you know, that's, that's been going on a lot for me this week. Sometimes it's a lot. Sometimes it's like I'm driving. Sometimes I'm not. Number seven, when tempted, take the way of escape. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God's faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is a little experiential wisdom from from this miserable failure in holiness. Every time I just bone up and take the way of escape, the Lord meets me on that road. And it kills me how the next time a temptation comes up and the temptation is, why is that so sweet? I know the Lord's going to meet me over here if I just take that moment right escape and you know what i'm talking about with every temptation there and you ever notice sometimes it's a phone call like in that moment like it's right there in front of you and the phone rings you're like you're like i should probably answer that but if i answer that then i can't take the way that that may be god's divinely appointed means of walking away you see what i'm saying you ever had that happen something interrupts take the way of escape because i I think the Lord will meet you on that road of escape. Number eight, roll with the providences of the day. Proverbs sixteen thirty three, The lot is cast in the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Awesome. Lecrae says it like this. Sorry. <laughs> Me, I just roll and trust you. You cause the dice to land. I'm in control of nothing. Follow you at any cost. Some call it sovereign will. All I know is you're the boss. Dude, roll with the providences of the day. He's sovereign over every moment of your day. And when little things creep in, just roll with them. It's okay. Sometimes you go with an agenda and you think we need to know these things. And the Lord tells you something else. That you, Dude, we needed to hear that, didn't we, Keith? We discovered some stuff. Like you go up with and hey, we need to know this. And the Lord says, man... Dude, I, needed, I didn't need to hear a 12-step list on how to do this thing. What I needed to know was you got this. That's what I needed to know. Roll with the providences of the day. Then finally, worship. However you need to do it, worship. Dude, sometimes maybe it's, it's like you, you put it, if you've got a CD player that works in your car, mine doesn't. So I have to, my, my iPhone, put the buds in. Um, whatever you like, man. I don't care. Dude, even if it's like terrible Christian music, I don't care. Whatever whatever brings your soul to the point of exulting. Whatever it is that brings your point. It, dude, and if you've got to go all the way back to Petra, please, that's fine, right? Whatever you need to do. Some of y'all is like, man, he had to go there, right? It's okay. Petra Praise 2 is awesome. I still own the CD. It's amazing. Right? Whatever. See, you got it. He's playing it, man. You know whatever you have to do. And maybe it's Tomlin. Maybe it's, maybe it's Crowder. Maybe it's Lecrae, Tadashi. Whatever it is that brings your soul to that point of exalting in the Lord, do it whenever you have to do it. Maybe shut your office door and turn it on. Maybe it's in your commute to or from work. Maybe it's in the morning while everybody's still asleep. Maybe it's at night when everybody goes to bed. But worship. Worship the Lord. In some way, and just maybe, there'll be sweet fellowship with God that is deep and rich and thick. And maybe you hold on just one more day in the Lord because He sustains you. Let me tell you, when we live life like that and then we come together, mm, you're talking about colliding with culture, a bunch of crazy walking in the Lord people who are in communion with God, in community with each other. I'm telling you, we will collide with our culture. 
There won't be any unadopted babies in Floyd County. Mm-mm. Nope. Won't be done. Can't stop us. Right? Won't be any lost people happening. By the way, I just hope you, everybody in Rome's been saved, right? If you talk to any lost people, yeah, I've been saved. But when were you saved? Oh, I was saved. I was saved. Everybody's been saved, right? They don't know the gospel, which means they believed in something other than the gospel, and they're going to hell, right? 85,000 of them, right? When we, we're living in communion with the Lord like that, in the community with each other, we will collide with our culture. And it won't be just meet and need. Just like, dude, look, have you heard about the triune God of the universe? Do, do you know? Do, do you know? I mean, do you know you were made to be caught up in a supernatural walk with God? What are you talking about? Let me tell you. Dude, that's going to happen. But we've got to walk with Him in communion. Next week, we're going to take a look at some of walking with each other. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, I want to ask now that you would take your people and you would minister to one, to us through the hands of each other. Lord, I ask that you would draw those who have not had their eyes open to the gospel to you. Save them. Knock them down. Show them who you are. Send them on the mission. And Lord, for those this morning who are wrestling with difficulty, I ask you to rescue them and cause them by your grace to hold on. Father, for those this morning who just need to taste your grace, would you give it to them powerfully and mightily? Would you guard us from the evil one and the lies of the evil one? Holy Spirit, would you be the well of living water springing up to eternal life in us this morning? And so while you're taking a few minutes to spend time with the Lord, let me just say this to you. As these guys lead us in a musical response, worship, worship, okay? Worship. Secondly, if there's a word that you have for somebody else sitting here, they're in your connect group, or you just see them every Sunday, and there's a scripture passage, or there's just an encouraging word that may help them grow into the head, Jesus, would you go get them and say it to them? That's okay. All right? If there's a need to pray for somebody, would you go get them and pray for them? Okay? If you need to be prayed for, I'm going to be standing at the back. Some of your deacons will be standing back there. And your pastors, come, we'd love to pray for you. But this morning, make sure we grow into the head who is Christ. And we're hands and feet for each other, right? For the glory of Jesus. So we can continue the mission.